0: You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Chuck Marone. Welcome back to the Strong Towns Podcast. This week, I've got Eve Picker on the line with me. Eve is an architect, city planner, urban designer, real estate developer, community development strategist, publisher, and instigator. Uh, she has a rich understanding of how cities and urban neighborhoods work and how they can be revitalized. Her latest project is something called Small Change. Eve, welcome to the Strong Towns podcast.
1: Well, thank you very much for having
0: me. Talk a little bit about what small change is.
1: Small Change is an equity crowdfunding platform. And that's quite a, a mouthful, I know. But stepping back a few years, the Obama administration legislated something called the JOBS Act, which, our, which stands for Jumpstart Our Business Startup. And the purpose of that was to find a way to capitalize small businesses. They did this by tweaking uh, securities regulations in such a way as to permit in investors to invest in businesses and in real estate as a crowd, just like on Kickstarter. But now, instead of receiving a T-shirt or some other reward, they actually become real investors in a project and hopefully get their money back and a return as well.
0: Well, I remember back in the 90s when I was kind of looking into this myself that if if I was going to get investors to help me with a local project, and I you know I was thinking in the hundred fifty two hundred thousand dollars range, I would need some type of SEC permission. It would cost me a quarter million dollars just to get the certificate. It was huge. You're telling me that the the Jobs Act was a way around those requirements?
1: No, it's not a way around that. I would never say that. <laughs> The Jobs Act, I think, emerged, you know, I wasn't there right at the beginning, but I think people started seeing things happening on Kickstarter and Indiegogo that made them think that there was a possibility for raising, raising funds through investors, not just for rewards. And so they spent some time to think about how that might, that might happen. Job Start stands for Jumpstart Our Business Startups. So remember, this was always meant to be a way to get more capital into small businesses because small businesses and probably small buildings as well are typically capitalized by family and friends and credit cards. Venture capital is a tiny percentage of what what happens in the business world and they were looking for ways to open up and make it easier for people to invest in small, small businesses. So the JOBS Act has rolled out under three different regulation headings since 2012, and basically the administration said to the SEC, "Look, we want you to make these changes um, in a way that you can implement them, and then and then make them live." So over a period of these last few years, those changes have been made. So the first change was to something called Regulation D, which is probably what you tried to use. It's a pretty Typical offering, you would need to get an attorney to write the paperwork. In the past, you could only offer securities to people you knew really well. And so it was called a private placement offering because it was private. It was behind closed doors. The change that they made was they said, we're going to permit you to generally solicit and open up this offering, these offerings to anyone you like. They still have to be accredited investors, which limits the pool, but we're going to let you basically advertise these offerings. So that was a pretty radical change, and that really started the industry. And I think as a result, what's happened is uh, many of these platforms have gotten very efficient at creating the paperwork that you tried to create once. Okay, And so when they have um, a private placement form that they replicate over and over again, those legal costs are lowered and it becomes systematized and much less expensive. Does that make sense?
0: No, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, I get it.
1: So, you know, the second part of the JOBS Act is that rolled out last summer is under Title IV, and that was changes to Regulation A, which was also an existing an existing regulation. And Regulation A is kind of like a mini-IPO the regulation that that Steve Jobs, I think, took to Massachusetts to launch one of his many ideas. But in in the past, that um, IPO was really governed by state um, Social state Security Commission, and the states had the full power to decide whether to let the IPO go live or not. And in that instance of Steve Jobs, He wasn't permitted to go live. I don't know. Massachusetts decided it wasn't a good idea. (laughs) There were changes made to Regulation A, which now put it under the federal umbrella and took that power away from the states, along with with other changes that have made it a a little easier to use. Now, Regulation A is typically a raise for much larger amounts of money, 20 to 50 million dollars. But it does let unaccredited investors invest. And that total of people is 97% of the population. So that kind of opens the door even wider.
0: Maybe we should pause there and tell people what an accredited investor is. Because I'm not sure everybody knows. There's certain financial thresholds you have to meet to become accredited. Basically, you've got to be able to lose a lot of money and not have it matter too much. Exactly. <laughs>
1: And I think basically um, the way the SEC thinks about this is an accredited investor, without putting numbers to it, is someone who's sophisticated enough, who can make an investment, and someone who has enough money, they can lose some money and it won't affect them horribly. Uh, and that they know what they're doing. And they have sort of put financial thresholds in place around that idea. Um, an accredited investor is someone who has a million dollars in net worth Without their primary residence, or they have an income of two hundred thousand dollars a year and have had for the past two years, or they have a joint income with their spouse of three hundred thousand a year. It can be any one of those three, but it is a very small percentage of the population. It's probably I think three percent of the population, which is a little shocking in unto itself. And when you do a regulation D raise such as the one you were considering years ago, depending on which formula you do, you have to be convinced that you have accredited investors. You have to verify and make sure that they're accredited. Regulation A, which I had been talking about, now that is a much larger uh, pool of funds that you can raise, but it does permit unaccredited investors as well. At the back end, there are more regulatory requirements for Auditing and managing that money than for Regulation D. So, Regulation D, accredited investors, a little easier to manage at the back end, just have to register with the SEC, you know, no CPAs involved, et cetera, et cetera. Regulation A, yes, you can have unaccredited investors, but there's much more due
0: diligence. Okay. Okay. That makes sense.
1: The final piece of it, which I am personally the most excited about, and will roll out this summer or the late spring. Actually, the date is May 19th. And this is called, and the SEC is called, it Regulation Crowdfunding. This is, in fact, the real crowdfunding regulation, and it was approved after many years of waiting for it um, at the end of October last year. The SEC started taking registers for this crowdfunding regulation at the end of January. And the rule will come live in May. This now is a very big departure for the SEC because regulation crowdfunding says the following. We're going to let intermediaries manage the whole business of raising funds in this way. We're no longer going to require an attorney to write a private placement offering or an offering and file it with the SEC. We're going to require these intermediaries to be electronic funding portals and for them to be registered with the SEC. And in exchange for them to being able to raise funds in this way, there is a lot of regulation that those funding portals have to comply with. But now you have portals that are specifically regulation crowdfunding portals that can do raises and manage them uh, without having to write and rewrite these offering paperwork but about yeah it's just it's a completely different animal issuers or developers will be able to raise up to a million dollars on those portals and anyone will be able to invest there are limits to the amount you can invest depending on how much you earn or what your net worth is, but anyone can invest. That's a really, really big departure from uh, what the SEC has permitted before. They have even said they will permit investment with credit cards, which has been unheard of. You can't make an investment using a credit card yet. So they're really calling it retail crowdfunding. And I suppose this is the the closest to Kickstarter that we're going to see for a while at least in in this area.
0: This seems a real radical departure. As someone who likes the democratization of it, I appreciate it. Let me let me put on my bureaucrat paternalistic non-libertarian hat, which I don't have, but I'll pretend I have. The old rules were designed, I think, to keep systems from exploiting people who who didn't have the money you, you think of like the the huckster coming to town saying hey i got a deal for you and you know give me your life savings and and what kind of things are they requiring uh, especially oh, so in, the, in the crowdfunding one yeah i i think it's important to lay those out because I'm, I'm sure there's people listening right now that are skeptical of this i'm not one of them but i i want to give you a chance to speak to those people
1: Well, it is incredibly detailed. Um, I I can't possibly touch all the details, but I was talking to my attorney about this yesterday and said, you know, this is not for the faint of heart. He said, that's that's right. Here are the sorts of things that a crowdfunding portal has to do. I don't know if you've ever read an SEC regulation. uh,
0: (laughs) Oh, just for fun.
1: It's a 640-page regulation. It's 640 pages, and actually it's very interesting. I found it very interesting reading because, They talk about their intent and they don't tell you how to do it. You know, they're really launching an experiment and they plan to come back in three years and see what's worked and what hasn't. But they really talk about intent, their intent, how they intend to protect people. But it's really up to us, the funding portal, to figure out how we are going to do that mechanically. So just to give you some examples, when you open an account on a crowdfunding portal, The SEC wants us to make sure that you're a real person. They don't tell us how to do that, but they say, you know, we have to take enough steps to ensure that whoever signs up is a real person. Does that mean collecting date of birth? Does it mean a verification code that we send to your phone? It could be anything like that, but the sort of verification that you see time and time again nowadays on all sorts of platforms like Airbnb and You know, whatever they want to verify that you're a real person. So that's that's a requirement. They also say that when someone joins, our requirement is to send them educational material immediately. We can do that by sending them a link or by actually sending them the information. We also have to disclose to them immediately how we're going to earn money. When they go to then start the investment process, when they decide, okay, like to invest in a tiny house now, and they, they start down that road, we have to re-verify that they have read any updated uh, educational materials. They have to fill in a questionnaire that shows us and the SEC that they understand what they're doing. We don't know what that questionnaire looks like yet. We're in the process of developing it, but they have to do that they have to disclose um, how much they've invested on other crowdfunding regulation platforms because they're going to be limited annually as to what they can invest. At the moment there's no grand database to check, so we all have to be on our best behavior and not and be honest about about that, but eventually the SEC hopes that someone will develop a database of all these investors and their investment amount.
0: Basically there are things that they want. These are all common sense things. These are all things that make sense to me. But it seems to me, from the way you're describing it, and this is not typical of government you know, at the federal level at all, they're saying, this is an emerging kind of thing we want to support. Let's try some experiments and figure out what the best practices should be.
1: Yes, although I I think it's more constrained than that. They have had uh, many years of discussions with people about the um, amount that people can invest and the amount that issuers can raise. And, you know, there's been lots of back and forth. So I think it's more confined than an experiment. It's a very clear uh, set of directions that we have to unravel and turn into an electronic funding portal. You know, on a funding portal like this, if someone wants to change their mind, we have to let them do that, and we have to let them take their money back, which is unusual and difficult to manage. And then there's a period of 48 hours before an offer closes, Um, and, and that's then at the point where they can no longer take their money back. But we have to make it very clear to everyone they understand their options and what they're committed to do all along the way. Basically, that's what we have to do.
0: So, small change, you are trying to work as one of these portals, right?
1: Yes, we are actually already working as a, a Regulation D a Title II portal. But we've always planned our funding portal as a Regulations Crowdfunding portal. That was our intent from the beginning. Actually, one of the really interesting things that uh, the SEC has written is that regulation crowdfunding portals, the language on them has to be plain English for everyone to understand. And um, this is harder than you think in the financial world, you know. Um, and But we work very hard at our portal being plain English from day one. I think there are quite a few real estate funding portals out there that have started to look more and more like financial portals to me. And I consider myself fairly sophisticated, sophisticated investor, real estate developer. But there are are things that, I I mean, I read some of these sites and I really don't know what they're talking about. I have to look up the words. And this is what um, the SEC was trying to avoid. They really want to create a marketplace for the everyman who is not involved in um, that sort of financial world. So we set ourselves up to be a regulation crowdfunding portal from the beginning. That was our intent, but we are operating as a, Title II Regulation D platform at the moment. We've had one raise that we just closed and we have a, a, a few more that we're preparing to go live with. And we plan to keep offering both of those because they have, they both have a place. They have a different place. And I think that will work differently for different projects, if
0: that makes sense. It Totally. So let me ask you, let's say that I am a small developer and, you know, we, we are tied in at Strong Towns with this group called the Incremental Development Alliance that is going around the country doing these small developer boot camps and, and training people how to go about the logistics of, you know, doing a small project, something, say, in the 200000 to to $1 million range. Let's say I'm, I'm one of these small developers and I've got a, a $400,000 project I want to do the thing I'm not good at is asking my friends and neighbors and family for money. And I, I come to you, what, what are you going to say to me? What's the, what's the process we would go through? And, And let's, let's talk as if it's after May 19th. So we're in the, uh, the full spectrum.
1: The first thing I would say to you is what does your project look like? And, um, I would ask you to answer a set of questions, which would let me know if your project is actually fulfilling our mission because small change has, Develop something we call the Change Index. And we're very interested in helping real estate projects happen that are transformative and good for cities. There are plenty of other platforms out there that will fund every sort of development imaginable, and imaginable, but we want to stay focused on those projects that we think make a change, whether it's they create jobs or they're green or they fill um, a vacant site remediate a brownfield, very in the primary city. there's all sorts of ways to make change. So but, th- but that is our mission. So that's the first thing we would ask. Um, we're unlikely to raise funds, for example, for a McDonald's in a, a suburban neighborhood. That's just not that's just not what we do, but there are, are plenty of other projects out there that we'd be very interested in. And the second thing I would do is I would work through the financing with the developer to understand if there's room to pay investors a return. And that's really the the key here. This is these are not rewards-based platforms, they are real investment platforms. So the question is 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 the project able to pay a return to to investors? And this can happen in many, many different ways. It could be a loan. It could be mezzanine debt financing. It could be equity. It could be a project that is built and sold very quickly. Or it could be a project that is held for five years and so investors uh, have a much longer patient period. But those two things are the most basic things to understand about the project.
0: You said something there that I want to highlight we talked a little bit about Kickstarter earlier, and the idea in Kickstarter sometimes you get a reward. I think you've been pretty clear about this, but I want to emphasize it. You're actually talking about a financial return on your investment. I give a you financial
1: return. That's yeah, correct.
0: I give you a thousand dollars, and I'm going to get something more than a thousand dollars back. And you you want to make sure that that's actually possible.
1: But you want to make sure that that's possible and that it happens. And I can't guarantee it, but I can do. You know, the best job that I can do in terms of due diligence to make sure that the developer we're raising funds for, understands what they're doing, has a project that fits the marketplace and has a project that is likely to give the investor a return.
0: If I meet those requirements and I've got my $400,000 project, it's in a city and it meets your mission and you're reasonably convinced that I can deliver on a return to to people, what, what happens then? How would you proceed at that point?
1: We have a service agreement which explains what we'll do and what we won't do, and our and our respective roles. Which we would sign. We'd agree on a on a transaction fee that you would pay us to do the work. You know, taking a step back, we would have to decide if it's a title two or a title three raise because that that is going to require a different set of work that needs to be done. Um, it's it's still probably the amount of work, it's just different. I'll give you a really good example. I have one project that is a brewery in a, a small town 45 minutes from the center of Pittsburgh, Rochester, PA. It's a, it's a beautiful historic building that's been vacant for 30 years and the developer has been working slowly and consistently on paying down federal liens and all sorts of things that went wrong with that building with the previous owner. And they uh, are just about ready to sign uh, a master lease for the building. they have all their documents together. um they think they finally have a project that is you know with with financing from the bank. They need to raise about a million dollars in equity. And what's interesting about this is that it, it's a very poor uh, little town. There's been no investment in the main street for for thirty years, and people there are very, very excited about this project. They want to see it happen, and they want to be involved. So this developer is likely to do um, two raises. One would be Regulation D, which would pursue uh, accredited investors, maybe for $900,000. And the other would be a Title three raise, perhaps for $100,000, giving those, those locals an opportunity to be involved and engaged in, in the project, which really matters matters to them. That's when I see that tool being being used. I think raising $100,000, $100 or $500 at a time is, is difficult and tedious and um, might not be appropriate for every project, um, at least at this stage, and until that program really takes off, I think it's going to take a while. That's the sort of decision that will have to be made. And some developers are not interested in that. Um, They have very strong projects that offer good returns, and they know that they're going to get accredited investors involved very quickly, and they just need the money, so they want to raise it. And other developers are very interested in getting neighborhood involvement and an opportunity for people who live there to also get a return on this this project.
0: Let me switch to the other side of the equation then, and let's say that I am a person – of reasonable means. I'm not super wealthy, but I'm, you know, I'm not destitute. And I know that there's a, a project up the street that is going to be coming through your platform. What what would I need to do to participate?
1: Our platform will help you through that process. We would show you um, how to evaluate what you can invest. Now, basically, Title Three lets you invest $2,000 a year, no matter what your income but that's across all platforms or all Title III raises. That's the limit. But if you want to invest more than that, there's a uh, calculation that we help you do that looks at your your income, um, your net worth, and uh, with the help of that calculation, we can tell you if you can invest up to five thousand a year or or more. Regulation crowdfunding or Title III, as I called it, actually limits everyone, and even Warren Buffett would be limited to no more than $100,000 a year in regulation crowdfunding raises. So you can see why this could be difficult for for some projects that need to raise more money. Um, It's just not, at this point, it's not suitable for everything. This was one of the complaints that people had about the rules that the SEC finalized. They said, you know, the limit should be higher. Etc. Cetera, et cetera. But you know, I think that you have to start somewhere, and I think this is a reasonable place to start. So this is what this is what we have. We have other tools to raise larger amounts of money. But so someone coming to the platform would be taken through this little process where they're shown how to calculate what they can invest, and then they decide what they'd like to invest. Um, they're going to be they're going to be told that they have to read something called a Form C, which is what the developers submit to to the SEC. That really is the developer's business plan. And they're going to have to fill in um, a little questionnaire saying that they understand all the risks and exactly what they're doing. And they're going to have to read educational materials that tell them all about investing and the, and the risk of investing. So there's, a lot, there's things that they have to do. To be considered a steady investor. Um, It's not especially burdensome, but I think it's appropriate.
0: Now, you mentioned that one of the things you have to disclose is is how you earn your money. You mentioned that the developers, you know, you you have a service agreement with them. Is that where your revenue comes from, or, you know, can you just maybe go over that?
1: The revenue stream is different depending on whether you do regulation, uh, sorry. Yeah, Title Two versus Title Three. Title Two being Regulation D, Title Three being the Regulation Crowdfunding. So I'll, I'll only address Regulation Crowdfunding because it's a it's a little different. In in fact, um, the SEC has differentiated these raises from other private placements by saying that we, the funding portal, cannot be involved in the development. The only role we're allowed to take is providing services. So in, in all other private placements, we could also be an investor. We could, for example, we could create a single-purpose entity, and that entity actually gathers all the investors and has a relationship with the developer and manages the investors and issues all the K-1s for them. But we're not committed to do that with regulation crowdfunding. Um, we can only be a service provider and help the developers to do all of that so we will charge some sort of fee for that service
0: they don't want you to have the conflict of being the investor as well you're you're the middle agent yeah
1: we're the middle agent that um you know what we have to think about it um, in regulation crowdfunding now with your little project uh, let's say you have um an LLC that you created, you would have to create a class of investors, maybe class B members that don't have any voting rights, but get some sort of return. And all those investors would be in your entity. And so every year you would have to issue them with 1099s or K1s. We can't do that for you. So we are working through what that means and what sort of services we can provide to make sure that this is not too difficult approach, a process for developers. They have to be they have to be able to manage this. Small developers already have a lot on their plate, and um, there has to be a, a way for us to help them. I think if I had a small project and I was starting out and I was told I'd have to manage 100 investors, I probably Run screens. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so, you know, this is one of the things we're mulling over. How are we going to provide a service that helps developers manage this?
0: Yeah, you'd, you'd be on the phone all the time trying to allay people's fears of, you know, well, your project's two weeks behind schedule and the sheetrock guy that you picked, I don't really like. And exactly. yeah, yeah.
1: I think, mean, you know, some investors are not going to be like that at all, but there's going to be a couple and they'll probably drive you crazy. So, you know, in the Regulation D deals, we're allowed to insert ourselves into the middle of those legally to manage that, but we're not permitted to do that here. So we're trying to we we are we're sort of developing ways that that will work. I hope I'm not getting too technical. It's a very technical stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate it. But I'm 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 guessing that there's a lot of people out there right now who have had dreams of of doing projects, and their biggest hurdle that they have is finding the, the resources you know getting getting the money to do it and it seems to me like you're pushing the boundaries on something really really exciting here
1: well let me let me give you some examples of the sorts of projects that we're discussing right now and why the developers are talking to us the first one that we just closed was actually a project I did with a different hat on I and mean, I, I used it as a test raise. For the, for the site. But it was a really good example of, I think, where we can help. And this is a tiny house that that I built in a an underserved neighborhood in Pittsburgh. That neighborhood has very poor market values, although it's surrounded by a lot of wealth. One of the things we're trying to do with this tiny house is sort of turn eyes onto the neighborhood and let people know it's there and that there's vacant property and that there's an this property could be an opportunity not, not a liability. So this was an important project for us. And it, it it cost a lot to build. It cost a lot more than we could sell it for. But this was my nonprofit that did the project. We we had subsidy money and we had you know we had a had a plan for that. The thing that was probably the most difficult and I knew I was heading for was that I was not going to get an appraisal. The house is three hundred and fifty square feet and it's on foundation. And there is no other tiny house on a foundation anywhere in (laughs) in Pennsylvania. There's no comparable. Yeah. There's absolutely no comparable. So I decided pretty early on that we would do a raise because I I knew that if I went to a bank, I would not get construction financing. Your listeners are probably aware of this, but but banks and traditional financial institutions make their loans based on um, appraisals and appraisers make their decisions of the value of a property based on comparable and if there are no comparables then there's no loan. And this is for me the centerpiece of what we're doing because because I think the neighborhoods and cities that need development the most uh, are the least likely to get it because of this you know terrible circular problem. If you go into an underserved neighborhood and you're the first one to build um, a residential building there, say it's a multi-unit building, um, banks don't want to lend because there's not, never been one done before and they don't want to take the risk. So where do you find the money? And these are important projects for all sorts of reasons, but it's very difficult to find the money. Um, some cities are good at providing resources to urban redevelopment authorities, but others don't have that. You know, So this has been... In my career as a real estate developer, this has been sort of the centerpiece of every difficulty I've ever had. Um, So we raised the construction financing on small change. We raised $100,000 in construction financing um, on small change, and that was the full amount that we needed. Um, And I was convinced that there was a market because um, I think I looked at this maybe a little differently than an appraiser who would only really look in the neighborhood. But this neighborhood is small, and it's surrounded by neighborhoods that have had more economic development in Pittsburgh than anywhere else, and the market values are rising dramatically. And this neighborhood is under a lot of pressure. Um, even the appraisers are saying, you know, there's going to be significant change here very soon because there's nowhere else to go. So a mile away, we had micro-units renting for $1,400 a month, about the same size as this house, plus the cost of parking, and someone who purchased this house for $109,000 probably would have a principal interest taxes, and insurance payment of $750 to $800 a month. So to us, it seemed like there had to be a market. There had to be a market. We just looked at it slightly differently. Another really good example, just completely different. Is a developer who um, has been working in a in a neighborhood in Pittsburgh that has gradually been turning around, and they've been focusing on housing flips. And they do absolutely gorgeous work. They take really beaten up row houses and turn them into just stunning homes. Um, they've been very consistent and slow about building their business, and at this point, they have pre-sales <laughs> for housing flips. Um, their work is so beautiful. And they've been using a hard money lender um, and are now looking at a business plan that helps them reduce the cost of that money, which is probably at least 15%, probably 18% in Pittsburgh right now. So we've been talking about you know, uh, uh, returns for their investors that might be, for example, uh, a net preferred return of 8.5%, meaning that the investors would get the first 8.5% return and they would get the second 8.5% return. And then investors, they would all get some some pro rata share of any additional upside. Now, they think there is going to be upside and probably the total returns for investors are going to be in the 11 to 12% range. Uh, which is a very nice return for an investor nowadays. It's it's a very handsome return and it it helps them and it's good for the investor. So that's another example of of the type of um, raise we might do. I'm also talking to a gentleman in a really pretty amazing neighborhood in Pittsburgh that has been somewhat undiscovered and he is taking a much broader view of the neighborhood. He has control of three properties, and is working on controlling more. This neighborhood is one one light rail stop to the center of downtown. It's actually pretty extraordinary. He's already purchased and renovated one building and has rented before completion all of the units that are quite lovely um, at twice the neighborhood market rate. <laughs> He's got signed leases. So he wants to start by doing a fully leveraged raise of that building. Which is already leased up, and uh, you know just sort of start establishing himself in that neighborhood for his investors, and then we'll move on to the other building. So that's a, another example, and that''s it's probably going to look pretty similar you know eight or eight and a half percent net preferred return to investors followed by some upside.
0: You have a conference that you're helping to put on next month in Pittsburgh. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Absolutely. It's called Real Cap Pittsburgh. And we're partnering with a group in Chicago called um, American Homeowner Preservation. Um, The two of us decided that we probably, you know, need two socially responsible real estate equity platforms out there that, that are raising funds. There are others doing really interesting things that are certainly doing good, but there's no one else really raising funds and giving a return to investors in this way. But we have. Oh, 20, 25 panelists coming from all over the country for a one-day workshop on crowdfunding. And the workshop covers every aspect of crowdfunding, the evolution of crowdfunding, the current regulations in detail, with some of the top attorneys in the country there. We have one session on how to make an impact with crowdfunding. Uh, we have one on marketing, and we have one on the money and how to how to find it. So it's a great opportunity for developers. We have actually developers and investors coming from all over the country as well. So we're pretty excited.
0: It, it looked like a fantastic lineup, and I, I really, I actually said, "Oh my gosh, I got to figure out how I can get there." It it, it looks you should really really, get really good. There. You should. I will try to. <laughs> Plus, how could you go wrong? I mean, Pittsburgh is such a beautiful city.
1: Yeah, and it's in a it's, it's in a wonderful space called Repair the World, which is uh, which is uh, actually a uh, a non-profit that does all sorts of great projects and it's in East Liberty, which is in itself is an amazing turnaround story. You know, five years ago, no one wanted to be in East Liberty and today everyone does. The Eighth Hotel just opened there. There are thousands of units being built. It's it's pretty it's pretty mind-blowing. So you can come and stay at the brand new Ace Hotel and really and enjoy a very diverse and uh, and urban neighborhood in
0: Pittsburgh. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, your site, Small Change, is online at smallchange.com. Do you know the registration site for the the conference?
1: Yes, it's realcappittsburgh.com. dot com.
0: All right, and I know we can find out more about you and what you're doing at evepicker dot com. Anything else we need to let people know about? I'm fascinated by all of this.
1: I hope everyone else is as well. I think it's a uh, it's a very dis- We're going to see a lot of disruption in the financial space, and we're giving we're giving access to real estate to people who've never had access before. And I'm very excited to see how this is going to impact our city.
0: Well, I, w- I was going to ask you if you have trouble sleeping at night. This stuff makes me so excited that I can hardly stand it. It's it's just you know we've been waiting for this kind of thing for a long time, and this is just so empowering to people. You. Your job has to be a lot of fun.
1: It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. I mean, you, you heard the sort of regulations we have to contend with, and you—you you don't want to miss, make a mistake. I mean, everyone this is new. Everyone's watching, and we need to get it. We need to get it right. So, that is—that is stressful. But um, I—I'm—I'm I'm up for the challenge. I like a challenge, and I—I I think it's worth
0: it. Well, Eve, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for taking the time. If I don't see you in March, I hope to to see you soon. And I, I wish you a lot of luck with this endeavor. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. And thank you, everybody, for listening today. Keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Take care. We need your help. If you think the strong town's message is important, don't keep it to yourself pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org. They know that America's one big pothole right now Bill, 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 Bill That's a story
1: Chuck Marone, this has been
0: fascinating
1: Who made it city? I like you. I
0: like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit Agenda 21. Yeah.